to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fulick. And welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fulick. And as always, we like to talk about things related to business continuity, disaster recovery, emergency response, crisis communications, and anything that uh, touches on those subjects. As always, if there's a topic you would like us to talk about on the show, please feel free. Go to the Voice America website and on the show homepage. There's a button there that says send host a message and you can send me a message uh, asking me questions or saying, hey, I'd like to hear a show about a specific topic and we'll see about getting someone on the show or we'll see about you coming on the show to talk about it. So feel free to do that anytime. I do respond to all messages that I get. For our long-term listeners, especially recent listeners, you may have heard a show that aired back on, let me just make sure I get my date right, uh, April 26th, I believe it was. Uh, where I talked to uh, some gentlemen with some new ideas uh, about business continuity. They have a book published called Adaptive Business Continuity, A New Approach. And the show was uh, very good. It's been well received. We had lots to talk about, and we only got halfway through our agenda. So (laughs) I invited our guests back to complete our talk. And I know we've got some other interesting things to talk about later in the show as well that uh, recently happened. Uh, to uh, uh, the adaptive business continuity uh, realm. So I'd like to welcome back to the show, David Lindstedt and Mark Armour. Gentlemen, welcome back. Thank you very much. Thank you. How are you uh, doing today? Fine as well as I know. (laughs) (laughs) I'm doing pretty well on this end as well. Good. I know one of you has warm weather and one of you might have rainy weather. So, you know, a little bit of everything here. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, can we, uh, we remind our uh, listeners uh, about um, what uh, both of you do? If you could give us a quick recap, um, David and Mark, of you know your biography, how you, you got to where you are. You know, just a, a quick recap. David, we'll start with you. Sure. Just briefly, um, my background is in project management uh, and then also in business continuity. I was the uh, director of enterprise continuity for the Ohio State University. And now I'm focusing on the sort of thought leadership side of business continuity as well as some consulting and stuff. Okay. Mark, how about you? Uh, Yes, I joined business continuity uh, willingly, unlike most, I suppose, about 15 (laughs) years ago. (laughs) Um, There was an open opportunity. I joined, and I have not looked looked back since. So uh, that was in the financial services industry. I spent most of my time learning business continuity there, and uh, for the past four and a half years, I've been with Brinks Incorporated, which is a secure logistics firm. Well, great. Well, it's great to have you back on the show. Uh, as, as for our listeners, I just want to remind everyone, um, both David and Mark have the book, Adaptive Business Continuity, A New Approach. It is available on, on uh, all uh, websites where you can buy books. I know I got mine through Amazon, so please take a, a look. Um, there's some great information. And... Um, Mark or David, I'll let either one of you take uh, the lead on this one. 
Could you kind of give us a recap of what adaptive business continuity is? I know we had our whole show, uh, the last show about that, but maybe some people haven't heard that yet. So if we could kind of give them a quick, you know, couple yeah, minute recap. Absolutely. Mark, I'll take this one because it's easy and, you know, maybe it's hard <laughs> and then it's yours. Um, take it away. Go for it. <laughs> basically, um, traditional business continuity has a number of um, some flaws, some problems, some uh, uh, struggles that we've all been dealing with as trying to get through the prescribed linear methodology. Um, and it also hasn't really taken much into account by way of uh, related improvements from other disciplines. So adaptive business continuity tries to uh, step back, uh, see what's worth keeping and what's not, and really bring in other ideas and other ways of doing business that is now day-to-day business, things like um, agile project management, Six Sigma, lean startup, entrepreneurial, growth mindset, um, motivation 3.0, the things that we're seeing take place in business and organizations day-to-day, but have not been incorporated into traditional business continuity. So adaptive is much more flexible. It runs on iterative cycles of delivering value. It focuses on capabilities instead of documentation and really, again, providing value um, within a very specific organization because, as we all know, one plan, one approach, one size clearly does not fit all. Mm -hmm. I I do have one. Go ahead. Oh, so I was going to expand on that maybe just a little bit and say, so when David and I first came across each other a few years ago, we were doing things differently. We're already aware of other folks within the discipline who are doing things not in accordance with our profession's documented standards. So we kind of set about to to kind of rethink business continuity. If we didn't have kind of this longstanding set of practices, how would we go about business continuity? And, and it certainly incorporates a lot of the practices that others um, are taking into account and, uh, and we believe is, is probably much more logical and, and has, we, we think, a more solid foundation in the approach. Hmm. Well, thank you for that. I do have a question for both of you that I wanted to ask in the last show, but I think this is probably the spot to ask before we go into um, all the different uh, components that make up the book because there's some really great information in there. And I'm just wondering, with adaptive business continuity, do we need to change the way we do business continuity or think about business continuity because we've changed the way we do business or because people and organizations have become more aware uh, due to social media now having a big impact on things? Or is it both? Ooh, that's a fascinating question. I like that question. <laughs> it is. I, I, would I like say, that. Yeah. I would say yes, and, 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 right? I think we're seeing a confluence here uh, of just the kinds of things that you've said. Um, There have certainly been innovations and strides in so many related fields to business continuity. And as you mentioned, like we got social media, the the technology innovations from when we started doing uh, arguably what what got our start in business continuity was Y2K uh, and arguably mainframe computers, the changes in technology have been overwhelming, and again, also things like Agile and uh, uh, Six Sigma and these types of these things. Um, and you're right, that just the nature of business itself, you know, we're supposed to be business continuity experts, and we're supposed to know about the business of the business, and boy, the business of the business is changing 
very quickly. And we had better have an adaptive uh, approach to be able to deal with <laughs> those changes, particularly as uh, the pace of mergers and acquisitions and just the pace is, is going, um, is, is accelerating. Mm-hmm. Mark, I'm would gonna, you like to add it? Yeah, let me, let me expand. I'm, I am going to go out on a limb and say that I don't believe traditional practices ever really fit. Um, business continuity and the objective of business continuity to, to prepare businesses. I think the methodology that we've adopted for the past 15, 20 years, as most of us know, it came, its roots are in technology recovery and, and it really dates back to mainframe recovery back in like the late 70s, early 80s, and then was based mm-hmm. on the systems development life cycle. I, I, it's perhaps better suited to say recovery of mainframes back in the 80s when data and storage of data and the machines to run that data on were very expensive and it wasn't something one could easily duplicate. Um, Once you start transitioning into business continuity where now we have to be more flexible, the the suite of options available to us is much greater because we're not recovering a specific appliance such as a mainframe or even just a Mm -hmm. server. There's a lot of options available to us. There's remote work, there's dedicated workspace, there's follow the sun, there's, there's duplicative production environments. So I don't even think the original methodology that was developed for business continuity is even suited for the practice. So I think adaptive has been sorely needed for a while, but then to David's point, the change, the pace of change that we're seeing within organizations nowadays, as well as changes we're seeing in other disciplines like project management, like leadership, um, makes adaptive much better suited, and we think probably uh, establishes an audience that's probably much more receptive to that change. Oh, great. Well, thank you very much for that. That was a question I wanted to ask in the last show. So um, I've, I've been waiting to ask it, obviously, for a month and a half. <laughs> well, and it's a but great – I mean, I think you could probably do a whole show just on that question, right? I mean, sort of the, the how did we get here and to what degree did it work then? To what degree would it work now if you were starting – with there had never been a thing like Y2K or mainframes, or if you were really doing uh, business continuity from the ground up in today's day and age, what would it look like? How would you design it, and how would you make it uh, appropriate for what needs to be done to protect organizations? And you know, obviously, Mark and I are going to argue that well, look, it, whatever it is, if you, even if you don't subscribe to adaptive, whatever it is, it's got to be a lot more nimble and flexible and changing and nonlinear and technologically savvy and business savvy and all the related items that go along with that. Um, you know, it reminds me a little bit, obviously, of uh, agile uh, project management, but just even project management trying to deal with the fast pace of change and the soft skills that are involved here. Um, clearly, mm-hmm. what we need to do with business continuity is going to involve a tremendous amount of soft skills, and yet when we go to a conference, uh, the keynote speakers and the plenary sessions are all about terrorism, and they're about uh, the latest strain of flu, and they're about earthquakes and fires and all these particular threats. And what they're not about is psychology and business and related uh, innovations in the workplace that have an impact on how we do business. It's a very strange sort of a thing, and it's an interesting experiment to think like, okay, well, really, if you blank, if you started with the blank slate, what what would you do? and how, how would it look? Well, it's interesting you listed those different disaster scenarios because, to me, those are all fear-based. 
I think we've seen a lot of. Yep. I think it's indicative of the fact that we have not had a very strong value proposition in business continuity, and the way that we've been able to get support and money has been able to, as to scare people. Um, mm-hmm. I think we do a bad job at explaining the value other than to say, hey, something bad's going to happen, and when it does, you're going to want a nice document to, <laughs> to read yeah. and tell you what to do. And, 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 and that's I'm how we sure kind of that, people ahead, into sorry. the profession, right, is first thing you have to do is get executive buy-in. And if you want to get executive buy-in and support for your program, you're going to have to scare them by, by convincing them that their company is going to go under if they experience some kind of, some kind of significant disruption. And I, I don't think the evidence for that is there, um, as, on top of the fact that there are a lot more better business cases for having a business continuity program than simply the, the smoking hole in the ground and the fact that you're going to lose everything. I, I agree with you. There, a long time ago, when I first started, you know, twenty years ago, that was the approach I used because that was the only approach that really existed. <laughs> yeah, you really, yeah, do, you really do learn yeah, over over the years that you know what that's not the best approach. There are other ways to communicate this. That's right. You know, and one of the things we're hoping with Adapted is, you know, let's let's have some of those conversations with leadership. I imagine there were very similar conversations around Six Sigma when it used to be TQM or it used to be whatever it was before, you know, the next the innovations came through. And certainly within project management and certainly uh, the, the lean approach to entrepreneurship uh, is vastly different than the way you used to go about getting a loan from the bank to start your small company. All these changes have been going on. Uh, We need to be able to talk about them rather openly and say, yeah, you know, yeah, we did a BIA for the last 20 years because we didn't know any better. And that's what we had. It was that these were the tools in the toolbox. Well, okay, now I think we've got some more different tools in the toolbox and we can have conversations about that. Mm Mm-hmm. I think so too, it, because you you started uh, your uh, David. You mentioned, you know, uh, the the old DR, you know, mainframe versus you know business continuity, and that's still out there. I I know many companies that still they work in silos when it comes to you know the technology piece and the business continuity. You know, they they different groups want to work against each other almost and not tell each other what they're going to do. You know, and it's like, well, no, you, that's not business continuity. Your business is the entire thing. It's not just one little piece of it. Oh, I thought yep. you'd say more. <laughs> no, I, I, you said it. You got it. Well, like, there you go. No need, no need to say more. <laughs> okay. Um, well, let's get now to the uh, actual book structure, you know, um, because there's some great information in here, and I know you guys had it broken up into, uh, what, four, five, no, five, five different uh, pieces. Um, and I compare them to, and, and, you know, don't throw stones at me, uh, I compare it to the some of the standards that are out there, you know, plan, do, check, act, and, you know, the, the different pieces, you know, you do this, you do that. But they're done differently, and they're thought of differently. Yeah, so maybe a way to tee this up, and then Mark can say things uh, that are better. Um, We started with, we have a very loose analogy with um, redoing a house, right? So when you've lived in a house for 20 years, you know all the things that you no longer like about it. Um, And there's things that don't work anymore, and there's things that aren't good anymore, and there's not, it doesn't just fit you without some significant renovation. 
so the, loosely the chapters of the book follow that. And the first chapter uh, is on, um, you know, clearing. We, we've got to clear out the stuff first, right? So um, the first chapter of the book really tries to make a very strong case for these are the things that are not working. And we think that to some extent that's any individual example is just the tip of an iceberg of an overall approach, which has, has pretty much stagnated here in the last several years. And uh, has made very little change other than small incremental uh, progress in, in two decades. Um, so the first chapter is uh, clearing out that space to be able to renovate uh, and then going on from there. Uh, and well, actually, you know, I'm going to hold my question back because we're, we're at the end of our first segment already, believe it or not. We're talking today with David Lindstedt and Mark Armour uh, about adaptive business continuity, and we'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Attention. If you're a parent, educator, social worker, or civic or religious leader, the most important program you'll hear this week is Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. Host Opal Singleton and her guest show how our children and others are being dangerously lured by predators through the dark web, social media apps, and games. Beyond that, the program looks at trends in human trafficking and more. You'll never think of the Internet the same way again. Listen Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips is an insider's glimpse at a life from a psychological perspective. It's a look at what matters to us. Why do we laugh? How do we cope with stress? Are men and women really that different? What is it about our relationships? How are they formed? How they work out? And why they sometimes don't? Every week is something new to engage you. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll turn up your perspective on life. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to the show. We're talking to David Lindstedt and Mark Armour, authors of Adaptive Business Continuity, A New Approach. And just before we left for our first break, we started to talk about the book itself and how it's broken up. And we 
we've got the uh, five different sections, and uh, I'm, I think one of you was only going to talk about this now, if I recall. But either way, um, how about the first section? You call the first section demolition, and as you started to allude to it before we went on break, it's breaking things down and you know clearing out all the clutter and mess, correct? Yeah, and I'll, I'll just wrap this up right quick, and then Mark can go on to the next sections if he wants, um, which is to say, I think we, we had to make a, a case for why you would even have a book like this, why you would even have conversations like this. If people don't think anything's broken, then no reason to fix it. So uh, we really try and make a case for some of the significant um, uh, psychological, theoretical, and practical problems that we see in traditional business continuity and sort of get that out of the way. So good, done. Let's not do those things. Let's, let's, if, assuming we're not going to do those things, what do we do instead? Okay. So that that kind of encapsulates the first uh, chapter, right? Or the first part of, of the book, I should say, demolition. Yep. So the second part you call foundation. Now, what's that? Uh, maybe I'll start, and then I'll hand it over to David, who, who can probably speak more <laughs> intelligently about the foundation than I can. Um, so after we've torn down the house, right, now we really need to set a, a, a firm foundation on which to build uh, what we call adaptive business continuity. And and part of this is predicated on the fact that David and I don't believe traditional practices in business continuity have that foundation. Again, my, my belief is uh, it evolved directly from the systems development life cycle back in the days when it was just technology recovery or disaster recovery, as it was called. And then it morphed into business continuity as, as it started to encompass more than just recovery of technology systems. And along the way and through that evolution, there was never like a theoretical or practical explanation for why we're doing it this way, right? It just kind of, it just kind of came to be, right? Um, the methodology was based on the systems development life cycle because it was something that was already familiar to technology folks at the time. We just gave it some new names, so it now applied to business continuity. But never, nobody ever really stopped to say, is this really what we should doing? What we should be doing? Is this really providing the benefits that we seek within business continuity? Are the results of all of this work and all of these steps actually delivering an improved preparedness or an organization that is better able to recover following a disruption or a disaster. And then I'll let, I'll let David talk maybe more, more specifically around what that theoretical foundation is. Well, I mean, that's what's so very interesting is that there, there is no theoretical foundation for all the things that we've been doing. We just think that BIAs are helpful and that risk assessments are helpful and that uh, tabletop exercises are helpful. There's no research. There's no underlying coherent theory about it. And so to some extent, when a, a new practice comes up as a possible uh, addition or replacement, we have no way of, of measuring that or of talking about it or of analyzing it because we don't have a theory. So the, the very next thing that the book does after clearing a space is to give us a coherent um, integrated theory of business continuity planning. Um, and it goes through very specifically an argument for exactly what business continuity is all about because we have 
really not well-defined business continuity, uh, and I'll say not well-defended it, uh, which is why it keeps getting threatened by enterprise risk management or cybersecurity or mm-hmm. resilience or whatever it is, um, because there isn't a, a clear definition and a clear argument as to the, what is it? What is the body of knowledge that a continuity practitioner can bring to the table that no other practitioner can bring. And until we have that, we're not going to do a good job defending ourselves. So it lays out a very strong foundation and one that focuses in on capabilities. Um, To some extent, uh, adaptive business continuity can almost be summarized by saying, your job as a professional is the continuous improvement of your organization's capability to recover from disaster. Go and do whatever it is that you can do to improve and move that. Uh, oh, I'm not going to say move the needle. I hate that expression. And and uh, to um, <laughs> to improve the continuous improvement of these capabilities is what you're supposed to be doing. We obviously think there are better and worse ways to be able to do that. Um, but let's refocus the entire discipline on capabilities, not documents, not planning, not uh, deliverables. Let's focus on capabilities. And really, if that shift is, uh, is done, then I think lots of other things quickly fall into place. Can you, can you give an example of what you mean by capabilities? So essentially, we break capabilities into resources, procedures, and competencies. So following a disaster, you need three things to be able to recover. You're going to need some stuff. Uh, That could be simple, like a couple of laptops and a cell phone at the Panera's, or it could be one-of-a-kind plastic molding machines, NMRI machines, unique in the world samples. But whatever that is, you need some stuff. Those are the resources. You're going to need to know what to do, right? So who's in charge and who does a damage assessment and who has authority and how do I get in? and how do I restore it, and what do I do if Pete's not here, and all that. Those are the procedures, right? Um, And then you're going to need some competencies, some crisis competencies, to be able to function throughout the duration of the crisis. So I could have all the things that I need and know exactly what I'm going to do, but if I freak out during a disaster and cannot function, none of that stuff matters. So those are the three highest level of capabilities that we focus on. And then, of course, you can break those down and break those down and break those down. And Mm -hmm. measurement then becomes one of the key factors and adaptive, a measurement that we've never had before. We've been counting lots of things for the last 20 years, counting numbers of plans, counting numbers of exercises, counting the last time they were updated, counting how many people showed up. All these things that we've been counting, we haven't been measuring. Well, it turns out you can measure. You can measure capabilities, and that gives you a very nice picture, a heat map and a road map, and a way to measure value of the program over time. Yeah, very good. So let's move to the next uh, section. You call that framework. So what is framework? Mark, do you, you remember to, what comes you next? To, all right, I'll give this. I'll give this one a shot. So, so after you've built I've the, got the book in front of me, you read some help. Oh gosh. Can you guys hear me? Okay. Yeah, yep. Mark, go ahead, man. Sure. So, um, so after you've built the foundation, which is the underlying theory behind adaptive business continuity, well, framework is simply the practical application of that theory. Um, And I'm going to try to put it simply uh, two different ways. 
So first, unlike traditional methods where you're setting your scope by saying, well, here's a part of the organization I'm going to support, and here's a part of the organization I'm not going to support, right? And then what happens if that's the part of the organization that, that suffers, right? We didn't have a plan. Adaptive seeks to say, you know, we can, we can support the whole organization, but we can limit the scope of our recovery by saying, well, we're not going to plan for that proverbial smoking hole, and we're also not going to plan for just minor disruption, like a couple of members of the staff are out or, you know, we've, we've lost a couple of workstations. So it's setting the aperture. Um, from there, we're now going to identify, well, what are our current capabilities? So what David just talked about, it's the resources, the procedures, and the competencies that are in place. And, and know here that you never start from zero. I, I think there's a belief within the business continuity discipline that you walk into an organization that's never had a business continuity program, and that means they have nothing. So if a disaster were to occur, everyone's going to throw up their hands and walk out of the building and say, well, if only we'd done this yesterday. Um, no, everybody's going to roll up their sleeves and they're going to get to work. That's, that's your capability there. Start from there and then mm-hmm. start to improve and build on what currently exists, what's intuitive, what's known, what's instinctual, and what competencies people currently have. And then from there, you can start to make small incremental improvements. And if you need to move people in a certain direction, you do it by starting with what's instinctual or, again, what's, what's understood or what's known, rather than the traditional method, which takes a year or a year and a half to kind of gather data, analyze that data, identify and define gaps, build strategies, develop plans, and then deliver training and awareness to people who for whom this may be completely foreign, right? We're giving them a whole mm-hmm. set of instructions that's not instinctual. It's not intuitive to them. And it's not understood. And yet we expect them that when the disaster happens, they're going to root for that. They're going to root through whatever stuff's on their desk to find that binder and then start executing recovery. So we, we believe in a completely different approach um, than others. The other thing that I'll say, so a different way you can look at it too, is it's a very, very simple life cycle. It starts with measurement. Again, you're measuring what are my current capabilities, and then it goes on to improvement, right? From your, from your measurement, you identify what are the opportunities for improvement. Do I need to develop procedures? Um, do I need to maybe strengthen some competencies, or do I need to invest in some resources? Then you simply remeasure, right? Your, measurement, mm-hmm. your remeasurement now tells you how the improvements I've made actually resulted in a better prepared organization, or do I need to maybe make some other improvements? That remeasurement also now informs the next phase of improvement. So it's, it's very, very simple from a life cycle perspective. Uh, what I say is it's not easy, right? So yeah. traditional <laughs> approaches to business continuity attempt to solve all of our problems through methodology alone. Oh, well, you're struggling with executive buy-in. Let's give you more details and a laundry list of, of things that you can use to try to get that executive buy-in. Uh, you don't understand the BIA. Well, let's, let's, let's introduce now a 40- or 50-page document that better explains how to do a BIA. We believe it should be a much more simple process, but that we should focus more on competence and capabilities and skills within the profession, things like active listening, maybe things like project management or agile, things like communication skills, team building, leadership, mm-hmm. things, things like that. It's interesting yeah, that's, you that's, mentioned that because while, while you were talking, I, I triggered a, um, a memory that I had when I went to one client a long time ago. The first thing we did when I got there, within a, within a week, they were doing a tabletop test. 
and um, they had this scenario you know, that they put together and everything. I was proud of it. And the room had 30 people in there. And it turned out that the IT people, you know, their biggest concern wasn't all this, you know, how we rebuild a mainframe and all this. Almost everyone in the room was talking about the same three things you just brought up. Well, we need these resources. You know, um, we need to understand, you know, our dependencies and, you know, uh, who's going to do what. Yeah. You know, and, and it wasn't, it had nothing to do almost with the traditional um, result that they were looking for, you know, that, yes, Correct. we can rebuild a mainframe. They already knew that. Exactly. You know, so it, that's when <laughs> exactly. I myself started to think differently about this. You know, you said at the beginning, you know, the, the plan, do, check, act. And um, I think what I prefer is the, the lean um, life cycle, which is you experiment and then you see how that experiment went, and then you either uh, persevere or you pivot. And so, again, let's not think in these, you know, year, two, three-year cycles of work. Let's think in a couple of weeks, right? What can we do for payroll in two weeks that will improve their uh, capabilities and their ability to recover from disaster? Can we get them laptops? Can we, do we run an exercise? Do we just ask them about sort of what they do and we get some of that information so that they're all thinking about doing those types of things, right? And we try something every two weeks, we experiment, and if that went well, let's keep doing more of it. If it didn't go well, let's try something else, and then and then we you know we see how it went. So it's that ex- experiment, and then feedback, and then pivot or pers- uh, persevere. Um, and I think that's a much better model for uh, an, a discipline which should have. Uh, complexity um, at its core. It's funny that we seem to have all these great ideas for exactly how we should do these things when in a disaster situation that is exactly what's not going to happen. Uh, yeah, let's, yeah. let's take, a, let's take an, an intuitive, creative, although based in some very deep theory and some very clear measurements, but let's take a more creative approach in doing and preparing for something where I guarantee if you've got a team that's more creative and innovative and understands what the values of the organization are, is going to do a lot better than somebody who knows the precise steps to follow in the case of a disaster. Mm-hmm. Is, it, is it better so, to spend an hour with payroll collecting a bunch of information that will feed a BIA that will result in you going back and saying, sorry, payroll, you're not quite as important as these operations folks over here or the sales team over here or the manufacturing department, right? You've basically just wasted an hour of their time, probably even more and probably multiple people in payroll. Is it not better to spend that hour having a much more concrete, actionable discussion around, well, what do you have? What are you capable of? And then at the end of that, actually delivering some value to them, right? Here are some concrete steps you can actually take to be better prepared tomorrow. And and really, who likes being told that you know you're not that critical? So you, you know, <laughs> you know, it, I, I I had that said to me once before. I said, well, then why is this department even here? I said, there, if they're not critical, you, you don't there need you them. You know, I said it t- takes all of you to keep this business going right now. So for sure, you know, if why all of a sudden are they not are important? That's 
That's exactly right. And that's what's so odd when you stop to think about a pre-disaster clear prioritization of every function of every department across the entire organization. Look, there's all sorts of stuff that people do, and depending on when they do it and why they do it and what time and day and cycle and these things they do it, uh, all sorts of things may become important that uh, we never thought were important uh, before a disaster, and that, that's a shifting landscape. Um, one of the things that we get uh, some pushback on is, oh, wait a minute, does that mean we just decide everything at the time? Is that we have no plan? We have nothing? We'll just go from our instinct? Like, no, obviously not. But let's have a discussion about what is important to the organization. What are the values, right? Um, how do we, how do we get the employees so that they can make decisions and take action on their own, because there is no way that the board of directors is calling Sally from payroll and saying, okay, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go across the street. You're going to open the door. You're gonna... That's not the way these things are going to happen. We need to find ways that people can be empowered to make the decisions within a value structure that is inherent and important both to the organization and to that department. And we've talked about this before. Look, at time of disaster, what does payroll care about? Getting payroll out. That's the thing. We can talk yeah. about how they might do that and getting them the right resources, procedures, and competencies to do that. Um, but it's foolish to think you need to tell them that running payroll is more important than running the report that they do every two months uh, that goes to the whoever, right? They know that. They get that. Let's, let's not do a BIA to figure that one out. Let's, let's talk about the values and how they're going to operate. Right. And would you believe we're already at the end of our second segment? I believe it. Mark talks. I mean, you can't get him to shut up. I don't know what to tell you. No, I'm enjoying it. I, I don't want to cut either one of you off. So, But on that, we do have to take our second break. We're talking with David Lindstead and Mark Armour, authors of Adaptive Business Continuity, A New Approach. We'll be right back. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com All around the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus. Creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson in The Sea Around Us said, All at last, return to the sea. To Oceanus, the ocean river, like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts. We'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. 
news, opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to the show. We're talking with David Linstead and Mark Armour, authors of Adapted Business Continuity. And in our last segment, we were talking about uh, the book and some of the uh, components that make up the book. We talked about demolition, foundation, uh, foundation, and framework. So the next section, uh, number four, is co-finishing. So what does that mean? I'll take a quick intro. Went- um, basically, yeah. now having cleared the way and given a nice foundation, and then given the um, more practical steps that you can take in a nonlinear fashion to do this, we then really, we're talking case studies. Um, it's, uh, what would this look like in practice? So how would I do this at a regulated bank? Uh, how would I do this at a non-regulated manufacturing place, right? And really sort of giving some examples of what would this really look like to go and, and do it? Okay. That's correct. That's correct. Uh, yeah, we, we do five different case studies in that particular chapter, and we took pains to kind of yeah, kind of paint a very realistic picture of a specific organization and through a lot of different challenges and, and issues within that organization, right? Dave talked about a bank. Maybe it, obviously it's going to be regulated. I think we threw a merger in the middle of that case study. Um, we talked about a retail organization that was maybe suffering from uh, some recent downturns in the economy. It has now kind of like rebuilt its brand and had not had suffered from a lack of investment in infrastructure. So we kind of tried to give folks a, a realistic look and a comprehensive look at an organization and then went ahead and said, well, how might somebody go about adaptive? And I think the key takeaway, too, is that just because we say this person in this case study took this approach to this organization doesn't mean that's the one and only approach. It may not even be the best approach. But the idea is you're kind of working in those short iterations, um, to David's point earlier as well, right, is you're kind of experimenting. So in some of those case Mm -hmm. studies, people are taking some very quick steps and finding out, well, what's working and what's not working, and then kind of taking it to its logical conclusion, either going ahead and going all in because that's that's a benefit that's making improvement, or maybe we have to kind of step back and have some have some different conversations. That's good because that's not a chapter that just says thou shall do, you know, X, Y, Z. It lets people <laughs> think and, you know, it lets them adapt to their own situation and organization. Yep. Exactly right. That was the intention. And we've got to be more cognizant of the many differences between the culture and the people and the expectation. I don't mean culture. I mean, there's, of course, there's international culture. But just how does each department get their stuff done? And I guarantee what works in uh, payroll at one company is not going to work in payroll at another company. And what works in payroll is not going to work in steam generation, is not going to work at the daycare center, is not going to work at valet parking. Um, and we've got mm-hmm. to take these into real consideration when we're 
coming. And each group has its own concerns and fears and things that they're worried about. And uh, you start digging into some of those things. And again, we had better hope that that is really the case. Otherwise, what are we doing as professionals? What, what makes us a professional other than a Internet uh, template that we download and start filling in blanks? We ought to be the ones that can ask those questions, can probe a little deeper, know the kinds of things that might go wrong in a disaster, and not from a, uh, what happens with uh, potable water when it's infected by ethyl metal death. What we want to talk about is how do people react and what kinds of weird things pop up and how can we guide people towards uh, continuously improving their capabilities to recover. Okay, and our fifth section... Uh, I th David, I think you said this was your favorite section. I get this one, yes. I like this one. So the last <laughs> one is called Dwellers, um, which is taken from Heidegger, which would take us much longer than the time we have left to unpack that. But um, I recently gave a presentation which just talked about the six drivers for change in our profession and the ten principles of the manifesto. And I had someone come up to me afterwards and say, you know, if we did and worked the kinds of ways that you're talking about, I think I could like my job again. And that is a strong <laughs> statement. This I want to is, put that on a T-shirt. This is, <laughs> yeah, right, there's our new logo, right? Uh, uh, this is a very strong statement, and I think this is, speaks to the, the, the place we are now. And We're worried a lot about regulatory and compliance and paperwork and audits and filling in blanks and all these types of things. And you know what? This could be an incredibly... Uh, innovative, challenging, interesting profession. And I think those that have stayed in it a long time stay in it for those reasons, because they get to learn the business. They get to talk to people. They get to learn how things are going. And they get to think about really innovative, creative ways that they could help somebody survive a, uh, a disaster uh, or an incident. Um, and so let's think that, so the last chapter thinks a little bit through what is it like to, to dwell, uh, as it were, in this new house. Um, how does it feel to dwell in it? What does it look like? And how might we uh, like these things? And what I and I, what Mark and I really hope then is all the, you know, hey, the theory is important and everything we talk about is important, but look, at the end of the day, let's empower the professionals in our discipline um, to sort of take back the reins of what we're doing and make it interesting again and make it not about compliance and forms and documents and regulations and make it about really interesting ways of helping people uh, in what is going to potentially be a very difficult and trying time. Mm -hmm. Mark, do you have anything Agreed. like to add to that? <laughs> Mark's like, no, that's no. wrong. That's not at all what we've been writing about. That's stupid. That's right. Where did you get that impression? That's dumb. <laughs> no, no. It's, uh, the only thing I'll add is, um, so, so, and this is where David was going at the very end of what he was talking about. Um, I think business continuity can stand much taller as a profession in its own right. Um, part of the problems, I think, with the way we've been going about business continuity has resulted in us playing second fiddle to risk management, to information security, to health and security and emergency management, right, is, is because um, people just don't think of it as, as important. And, and I think of business continuity is occupying a space called preparedness, 
right? Um, mm-hmm. You've got risk management and the risk management disciplines, and they're focused rightly on, well, how can we prevent something bad from being from happening? Um, how can we mitigate these, or how can we at least minimize the impact if something were to happen? But let's face it, we can't reduce every risk to absolute zero. Bad things are going to happen. There's things that we can't control. There's things that we only partially control. And let's face it, even in the risk management discipline, there's those risks that you simply accept, right, because they're, they're too costly to mitigate, or we don't have the resources or capability to do so. And that's the space that business continuity occupies. We are a preparedness discipline. Our focus, and this is the re- one of the reasons why we shouldn't be doing risk assessments, is we don't care what the threat is or what caused the disruption. Um, the disruption or a threat is going to materialize someday. And for most organizations, probably multiple times at multiple locations. Let's be prepared. Right. Let's simply be, be competent enough and have the resources to be able to work through that and minimize the impact post event. And that, I think, puts us on equal footing with risk management. Sure, we can, we can try to mitigate some of our risks, but we know there's always going to be things that, that cause disruption and we simply need to be prepared. So let's be the folks who champion that preparedness. It's interesting. You, you, you said the, um, you know, regardless of what the risk is, I found that many places that I've gone to, they don't want to do the risk analysis because the reason they want a some sort of a, a plan in place or a procedure or whatever the case may be is because they already know there's a risk. So why go through the whole, <laughs> exactly. the whole exercise of, okay, we're on a floodplain, you know, we flood every two exactly. years. We already know that. We've already exactly. got stuff in place. Why are we redoing this? Yes. Well, you know, and a very interesting example is what we're seeing with cyber uh, and cybersecurity. Um, We all know that, yep, that's a risk, and that is probably going to materialize at some point and at some level. And you know what happens when it does materialize? Honest to goodness, a lot of times we're going to have to run from paper forms for a couple of days because we're not going to give money to the cyber terrorists or the ransomware. We are going to rebuild these servers back from scratch and in the meantime guess what business you don't get to use them you have got to use your workarounds your innovations your cleverness your paper forms and that is how we're going to do business and no risk assessment is going to help with any of that nor as a bi nor as anything else right um so right. yeah it's a brilliant example that you brought up and that yeah we know there's a risk and we know there's a problem and we know there's a threat what are we going to what are we going to do about it particularly in terms of cyber where we know by and large to some extent, wow, it costs way more money than we can afford to actually prevent it. Mark, do you have anything else you want to add to that? Because I know there's another topic we want to get to, and I don't want to run out of time on us again. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. You, you made you brought up a good point about how you'd worked with an organization. They already knew they were in a floodplain, so they had to be prepared for that. One of the residual benefits of just preparedness in general is if you're not preparing for a specific hazard like a flood or a hurricane or a fire – Basically, any, any preparedness initiatives that you undertake and any improvements in recoverability and preparedness are, are going to suffice no matter what the impact is. If your building is flooded or if your building caught fire, the preparedness and those improvements are going to benefit you either way. It's not like you have to prepare for a flood. And then you now have to go start preparing for a wall if there's a fire. And now you have to also prepare, what if there's an earthquake? Or what if there's, what if there's an active shooter, right? Most of the preparedness efforts apply regardless of the actual um, threat or the, or the individual incident. 
Well, and that's where the nice shift happens if we focus on capabilities. It doesn't matter capability to recover from what? It doesn't matter, right? We're going to lose people, we're going to lose things, and we're going to lose locations in some mix. Let's come up with a, a portfolio of response possibilities based on our capabilities in order to be able to meet those kinds of uh, well, bad things that happen. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. Thank you very much about the talk about the, the book, uh, Adaptive Business Continuity. I recommend everyone go take a read. There's some great information in there. Um, I know we've only got about five or six minutes left, so I want to touch base on uh, something that uh, you mentioned earlier today um, with Business Continuity Awareness Week, and something uh, cropped up regarding Adaptive BCP. Um, I'm not quite sure on the details, so I'm going to let you uh, lead this piece, you know. So this is maybe more conversational. I'm not sure we have any grand statements to, to say here. Uh, okay. On the one hand, um, we've certainly been getting an, an increased interest in adaptive and how it might work and how it might benefit and how you might use it. Um, and we are now also very much hearing things in presentations like, you know, there's a group out there that says you shouldn't do a BIA. Well, let's talk about that and tell you why you should do a BIA. And so, great, you know, let's have the dialogue. Let's have the discussion. And so maybe a, a segue from <clears throat> five minutes ago would have been would slightly better, which is um, in talking about where business continuity fits as a discipline. Um, just this week, uh, the BCI released its manifesto on organizational resilience. And what's interesting about that is BCI came out, boy, I'm not going to get this right, I want to say like five, seven years ago, and they released a statement that said business continuity is not resilience. Those are not the same things. And they were one of the first and only groups to do that, and kudos for them for doing that. And in this new manifesto, by and large, I have to agree with a lot of the stuff that's in there, because once again, they're like, look, business continuity is not resilience. It is a piece of resilience, an important piece of resilience. Uh, but as in my words, I would say resilience is an interdiscipline. It brings together lots of different possible disciplines to achieve uh, a single and shifting result. Um, what will be very interesting then is to see um, <clears throat> where do they go from there? It, they've said two things. Um, one is that they're going to try and facilitate more discussions about what is resilience and how does business continuity as its own discipline fit in within that sphere of an interdiscipline, which I think is a great conversation and it's the right idea. What concerns me then is then what do they, what will they stand up as business continuity, right? Can mm -hmm. traditional business continuity really take a proper place in a resilience environment where you have such well-established other players like emergency management, crisis management, uh, enterprise risk management, and the like. Uh, to me, the challenge for BCI is going to be um, if you're going to enter this these potentially shark-infested waters, um, and you're entirely right about business continuity being its own discipline, how do you stand up and provide the proper foundation for business continuity so that it can take a proper place within this interdiscipline? Mark, I've got one minute left. Was there anything you'd like oh, to boy. add to that? Nuggets of wisdom. It's a lot, it's a lot, of, it's a lot of pressure. 
Um, so the one thing that's interesting about that, and Dave and I have had this conversation about BCI and DRI, in that they spend a whole lot of time talking about stuff that's not business continuity. It's emergency life safety and emergency management. It's technology recovery. And, and to an extent, it, it, it almost reflects what David and I have said, which is a lot of people, even the leaders in business continuity, fail to see the value in business continuity. And again, I think that's driven by the fact that we're not doing it right and we're, we're not delivering the value that we should. So naturally, we're going to latch on to other stuff that people do find interesting and that they do see value in, like emergency management, like mm-hmm. risk management, um, and like technology recovery. So I think if we refocus and we take a different approach and we are delivering value, then that's the direction to make business continuity, I think, the, the, the taller and bigger discipline that it actually is. Okay, and on that note, we've actually come to the end of the show. Um, Thank you very much, David and Mark, um, authors of Adaptive Business Continuity. Another great show, another great chat with both of you. Uh, Again, if there's any topics you want us to talk about, please let me know. Otherwise, in the meantime, everybody, stay prepared. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.